politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready once again like it's Valley Forge to fight for our life, liberty, property. Uh, this is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today, Tuesday, February 22nd, the true birth date of our first president, George Washington, the day we should be celebrating, not the random government employee holiday. Um, you know, you think back to George Washington and his entire presidency was created during a time of emergency. And he could have used that emergency easily and he would have been very popular too to seize power, but he devolved power. He gave birth to a nation built on self-governance which catalyzed over the ensuing hundred years all of Western democracies. That has all been erased. What has taken place in Canada, some of you have seen this last night, the parliament actually voted 181 to 155 or so, something around that, to actually approve an emergency. Even though they cleared out Ottawa, it's over with. But nonetheless, they're going to keep it going at least for another month, which means forever. Canada is lost. Canada is gone. We are thankful enough that public opinion is a little bit better here in America. The emergency against our liberties, our life, our property, our self-governance, our sovereignty, everything. Up is down. Down is up. Criminals are victims. Victims are criminals. Illegal aliens are citizens. Citizens are illegals. Our bodies belong to the government. Yet the government can't even, doesn't have the right to simply say you can't go into a female bathroom. You cannot bridge that divide. Anyone running for office as a Republican who is not speaking to this and not specifically promising, especially as a governor and a legislator, to make the state sovereign again, it's a complete waste of time. We have an emergency to deal with emergency powers. That is the single biggest problem we have. We have the emergency. We have the opportunity because of the public opinion. But the Republicans are sabotaging that opportunity. So we're going to get into this and more today. Um, we are going to get into some more primary candidates as time goes on. We're going to start that very soon. Um, look, our first sponsor today, Patriot Academy, this is one way to start those Sons of Liberty-style meetings, those cells to get together, to see what you can do at your local level, which is where most of this battle is going to be fought. Uh, they have a Constitution Coach program. It's materials that are produced for free by Rick Green, uh, America's Constitution Coach, historian David Barton, and others that you can download and learn it together um, learn about what constitutional rights are, and then act upon it. Sign up today for a class at patriotacademy.com to help restore our constitutional republic. So, folks, Canada, right, they, they voted on it. It's over with. You find, furthermore, everything going on in Canada is already going on right here at home. Just a little bit more subtly, but it's all going on. For example... This is from the post-millennial. The um, Freedom Convoy leader and organizer, Tamara Litch, right, she was arrested. She was denied bail by an Ottawa judge this morning. She was denied bail. He said there's a, the judge said there's a substantial risk you will continue these actions. What actions? She has literally not committed a crime. Now, you might be, well, Daniel, that's Canada. That doesn't happen here in America. Well, we have people sitting in prison without bail for over a year for either doing nothing or, or a misdemeanor, disorderly conduct, trespassing a public property. At a time when, folks, I cannot tell you how many things I have. I'm, I'm compiling a list of just the last couple of weeks Crazy stories of child molesters and murderers being let out without bail. You can't live together in a society like that. 
No Republican is speaking. They'll broadly indulge the, yeah, there's crime going up. Yeah, they're trying to ruin female sports. Yeah, there's tech censorship. But they, they, even when they speak about the issues that matter, they speak about them with the same failed approach that they indulged taxes and guns and, and, and abortion over the last 50 years. Not in any way that gives you confidence that they're going to use the specific tools to ensure that we get protected from that. And the most important theme is a constitutional sanctuary. Red states becoming constitutional sanctuaries. But as we're going to go through today, the Republicans are screwing us in every single state. There's not a single state I could point to you and be like, man, we're having an amazing legislative session. Most of them are breezing through it. We're all, a lot of them are only a few weeks away from adjourning. Sinny die without doing anything meaningful on any emergent issue. The biggest thing we need to do is get rid of this, this emergency power thing is something none of us could have ever imagined. But here it is. It's upon us. Let me read to you a story from my buddy Pedro Gonzalez. He wrote this in the Washington Times. Just to get a sense of, of what's happening, mounted police officers trampled an elderly woman with a walker during the Freedom Convoy. Leaked chat messages obtained by Rebel News show one Canadian mounted officer wrote, that's awesome. Um, then they talk about another encounter. Police smashed the windows of a vehicle, dragged its occupants out into the street. One officer was also seen dishing out rifle butts to a protester on the ground. On Sunday, a video posted on Twitter, Twitter by Salman Sima, a former political prisoner who took refuge in Canada, showed police attempting to force their way into the iconic cafe in Ottawa's Parliament District. Owned by Enrico and Deborah Kuhn, it is a popular spot. One reviewer described it as, an, as a veritable oasis of humanity and warmth among the high-rise buildings. Deborah or DK told me how the incident began. They were trying to arrest a lady that was walking on the street. They weren't being very nice, so we stepped out and said there was no reason to be rough. That's when they turned on us. So these are business owners. They weren't they weren't involved in the protest. They just said, hey, you know, chill out. Um so basically they were, you know, they were interrogating, shoving people, and then police told DK and her colleagues that they had been disrespectful towards them, at which point she said they retreated inside and locked the doors. Officers wearing face coverings tried to pull them open and look for a back door to no avail. A female cop threatened to break the glass. Footage of the incident shows an unidentified female officer shouting at the owners through the glass. DK said that when threats of force didn't work, one cop tried to pretend that he was a by a bylaw officer. Municipal bylaw officers and for uh, um, enforcement officers can access almost any part of Can Canadian's property without a warrant. However, according to DK and Enrico, it's not clear that a bylaw law officer was present. We knew if we let them in, they were going to arrest us, DK said. And um, this is basically the new normal. I, I, it's happening so quickly that I think we can't even we can't even get get our bearings. But this is all happening on some level here, and it absolutely will get to Canada's level very soon. And yet here we have these vacuous Republican candidates all over that agree with all of this, they indulge our rhetoric just enough to make the voters think they have a choice, all the while sealing our fate. You, you tell me which Republican state speaks to you, which Republican official speaks to you. This is the single biggest issue. If you have a candidate running for office, not running on, terminating, emergency orders, and systemically reforming them in the state's constitution, making sure this can never happen again, nothing matters. Because again, they'll make it about protest, about dissent, 
about freedom of speech, about anything, not just COVID. Justice Robert Jackson, he was the lead prosecutor at Nuremberg. He was the dissenting voice on the Supreme Court, the main dissent against the Japanese internment in Korematsu. He wrote in the Youngstown case, landmark case, 1952, one of the most famous cases of the 20th century, quote, Aside from suspension of the privilege of writ of habeas corpus in time of rebellion or invasion, when the public safety may require it, they made no express provision for exercise of extraordinary authority because of a crisis. They knew what emergencies were, knew the pressures they engender for authoritative action, knew too how they afford a ready pretext for usurpation. We may also suspect that they suspected that emergency powers would tend to kindle emergencies. And he goes on to talk about how the country was founded during a time of an emergency with a leader who could have easily sacked power. That's what we should be celebrating on George Washington's birthday. And yet this is going on. I mean, e- even even the mask mandates, Fauci's out there, we're keeping them. You know, I thought by now it would be gone. Even in my uh, pessimistic view of them holding on to COVID fascism, it's actually even slower than I thought to get rid of this stuff. And remember... I can't guarantee you that COVID's over. A, that COVID's over. B, that there's no new unnatural SARS-CoV-2 things that they're going to release. Omicron clearly was a release. And three, that there aren't new viruses. The minute that happens, the same Republicans will fall for the same policies. In other words, after two years worth of data, science, pain, destruction of physical, mental health, the destruction to our kids that every Republican now says they agree to, and even some Democrats, but they have not taken a single concrete step to immunize ourselves from that happening again. That's what's truly amazing, and I want to give some vivid examples of this. How Republicans are letting us out to dry. But first, very appropriately, we have to take our health into our own hands. And we don't know what's going to come down, but we need the healthiest immune system we can get. That's why I recommend Z-Stack, formulated by Dr. Vladimir Zelenko, the world-renowned doctor that treated uh, President Trump, who um, really catalyzed this movement of early treatment. Z-Stack formulates the proper dosages prophylactically of zinc, quercetin, vitamin C, and vitamin D. You just take one a day. I, t- I take every day myself. Um, it's GMP certified. It's produced right here in the USA. Now more than ever, you have to take control of your own health and your family's health. Go to ZStackLife.com slash Daniel. Enter promo code Daniel to get a small discount on your first order. That's ZStackLife.com slash Daniel, promo code Daniel. So what is it we're still fighting for? So, again, even if 100% of COVID fascism goes out the window, we all understand that they can and will bring it back pretty soon. Remember, this time of year last year, it looked like the same thing. It was going to go away, and it came back with a vengeance. So anyone who thinks, oh, we're done with it. No, you're not. But even if... But, but what I'm saying is we're not even done with the initial iteration. And I want to explain this through the lens of the military. The military. For those who don't serve in the military, this is not such a big deal. Okay, it's not such a big deal. Well, okay, you know, my kids don't have to go with a mask anymore. I don't need it. Let's say you have a job that, you know, you, you didn't get hit with it. But could you imagine the lives and dreams of military servicemen that are destroyed. That is still going on. And there's no reason to believe that's going to change. Because they feel they already have the precedent that generally speaking in the military, we've mandated shots before. So they're going to keep that forever. Have you ever thought of a teenager, 17-year-old boy that dreamt of going to the military? 17 years old, let's say had the virus already, the virus is not a threat to him. And he's in the, as a young male, the bullseye for danger for vaccine-mediated myocarditis. 
Could you imagine the military pushing that? And they get away with it. Let me read to you a heartbreaking letter from a longtime listener who happens to also be our Alabama team leader, doing a great job every day, going every week, going to uh, Montgomery, the Alabama legislature. That's another state where literally they're wearing masks there to this day in the House chamber. The Republicans, they're sitting there wearing masks two years into this. This is the Alabama legislature. They need pressure. And by the way, we're going we're gonna to probably have a candidate for governor on the show. That's a state that we really need to take care of. But Alabama's a cesspool, politically. But anyway, so Teresa happens to also be a gold star wife. Here's her story that she sent me, and I incorporated some of this into a column today. Loss upon loss best describes the experience of a gold star family. Ten years ago, Lieutenant Commander Dale Taylor that's her husband, left for a routine night flight. He was in the Coast Guard, never returned. He and three other souls lost their lives in a training accident in the cold, murky waters of Mobile Bay. Since that tragic night, far more than their lives has been lost. Haunting grief has been a constant over the years, relived or relieved only in knowing Dale's sacrifice was a worthy and honorable one. Nobody would choose the title of a Gold Star wife, yet it will always be my greatest honor and privilege to truly know its price. But not all losses are honorable. The losses my sons and I grieve today are not only the immeasurable absence of a father, but the compounded loss of his military legacy to follow. Even as young boys, my sons were able to understand and accept their father died for a heroic cause and did so bravely. However, as young men, they are unable to accept or comprehend the losses they now mourn. Feeling like a knife into an already broken heart, Today's military is grossly unrecognizable to those who have served it faithfully. Forced injection mandates, blanket denials of religious accommodations, blatant refusals to uphold constitutional rights, and outright ejection of the inherent right to choose what goes into one's body by the U.S. military are common practices, devastating losses of individual freedoms. The love of aviation, listen to this, and, and I'm curious if you have similar stories. The love of aviation and everything military was passed down through the bloodline to my sons. They're now... She has two sons. They're 17 and 14. They have always wanted to be just like their dad and follow in his footsteps, even knowing the great risk and sacrifice it requires. This summer, my oldest son will be able to apply to attend a summer preview program at the U.S. Coast Guard Academy. He should be looking forward to such an opportunity. Right? The dad that got killed in the training accident, he was a lieutenant commander in the Coast Guard. They want to join the Coast Guard. And remember, the Coast Guard is a little bit more close-knit. It's a much smaller branch. And, you know, people know each other. She goes on to say, yet even as a minor, in order to attend his required, attend, right, this summer program, which kind of, you know, indoctrinates them into the Coast Guard for eventual, eventual service, he is required to be injected multiple times with an experimental therapeutic with questionable efficacy. This same son recalls, listen to this, I remember at my dad's m m memorial service hearing, hearing them say, the Coast Guard will always be my family. Ten years later, he can't help but wonder, are they really my guardians now? Who will stand for these young adults wanting to serve in the military and for their futures? Even a teenage boy can clearly see the things those in power are refusing to stand for. We focus, folks, we, we, we focus a lot on you know, those having their military careers destroyed currently. But this this brings up an interest, interesting dynamic. Here you have a family. You can imagine, you know, you had a father that, you know, the, the kids were seven and four years old, respectively. Their father died in a training accident as an aviator in the Coast Guard. And the son, the older son, is now 17, and he actually wants to do that. He wants to follow in his father's footsteps. Think about it. Obviously, the lowest vaccination rate is going to be among today's kids. For good reason. Okay? Especially the males. Uh, the shot is the most dangerous to them. At least for myocarditis. We'll get into some other things possibly later. As, you know, affects females more. But um, it is the most immoral, illogical thing. Senseless. By this point, almost all kids got COVID. 
They have greater natural immunity. The shots don't work. The, the, the virus has changed and it's not even the same virus. It's dangerous as hell. It's caused immeasurable damage in the military that will shock your consciousness. And now an entire generation of kids will be ineligible to join the military. And we have Republicans that are like, oh, we're done with COVID. No need to have a budget fight. March 11th. One of the points that these Republicans make is, oh, well, you see, I don't want to engage in a fight that will risk a government shutdown and you might have the, the military pay delayed by a week or two. That's not being supportive of, of the soldiers. So you're willing to risk permanent destruction of the military family and families and culture and our readiness and our recruitment and lives and, and careers. And these are, by the way, going to be our best soldiers, most passionate, loyal people for your temporary nonsense. This is what I mean. This is insane. Do you understand if we had a united Republican Party focused on the DMED data, focused on VAERS, focused on all the wealth of safety and efficacy data we have, the natural immunity, and how you're destroying the military, and you would engage just on this issue alone. This is quintessentially federal, quintessentially revolving around funding of DOD. This is the time, this is the moment, this is the issue. And yet, crickets. Chip Roy is the only one yelping out there about this. This is the problem. They're using the fact that the polling shows Democrats are going to get crushed to their advantage. So they're just going to coast by, do nothing, say nothing, knowing that our voters have no choice where to go. And this is where they go. Folks, I am telling you, every candidate you know from local position up to state legislature and governor to federal, if you're in a Republican district and you have an incumbent Republican, unless they are the small minority that has proactively spoken out against COVID fascism and all of its analogs throughout the last two years, vote against them by default. I don't care if it's right in. I don't care if it's a no-name guy running against it. That guy might even be worse. We don't, you know, if you didn't vet the guy, not always better, but I don't care. Vote against that guy anyway. We cannot continue this culture of rubber stamping the same Republicans. I want, I want, I want to show you this. I want to get back to the military and DMED for a moment, uh, uh, a couple moments later. I just want to focus on this theme of do Republicans speak to you? Are they channeling where your brain and heart and soul is at this point? Here's a political article. Rick Scott pushes own GOP agenda as McConnell holds off. Senate Republican leaders have no plans to release an alternative agenda as they try to win back the majority this fall. So Rick Scott is pursuing his own own plan. Basically, Rick Scott is the head of the NRSC, the um, head of the campaign committee for Senate Republicans. The Florida Republican Center is devising a conservative blueprint for Republicans to enact should they win the House and Senate majorities this fall. Among Scott's priorities, completing the border wall, naming it after Donald Trump. <laughs> Typical porn, uh, political porn, declaring there are two genders, ending any reference to ethnicity or on government forms, and limiting most federal government workers to 12 years of service. It's a bold move for the first-term senator. But Scott said the 31-page GOP agenda he's crafted is separate from his working chairman chairing the party's campaign arm. So I was wrong. It's not part of the NRSC. It's, it's Scott's own thing. It's a clear break from Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, who has declined to release a GOP agenda heading into the midterms. He has declined to release an agenda. <clears throat> okay. When asked in January what the party's agenda was, McConnell responded, I'll let you know when we take it back. Could you imagine, like I've said, in this world of, of social media, instant communication, when you're an elected official, especially a party leader, more than a vote, you're a voice. And they refuse to give voice to the voiceless people. 
There is so much to talk about this guy. I'll let you know what our agenda is. So that's the leader. But now you have Rick Scott's like, we're going to put out a bold agenda. So he's the better part of the Republican message. But you, you click on, if you go to the Politico article, right? Rick Scott pushes own GOP agendas, McConnell holds off. It will come up easily because it's Politico. So it will come up on Google. Click on the link and you'll get a 31-page PDF of Scott's 11-point plan. And I want you guys to engage in this intellectual exercise for me because I think you'll demonstrate, you'll be able to see what I've been demonstrating for years. And for our new listeners, you know, you've heard me say this already. There's nothing you're going to disagree with in this document. Right? Broadly speaking, it, it kind of taps into our sentiments. But read it intelligently. Read it carefully, and you'll see it indulges our talking points and some specifics enough, but it doesn't speak to the issue that we need a constitutional sanctuary. Now, I get it that this is more representing Republicans in the Senate and House, not governors. I get it. But you look at it, and it's like it's 10 years behind. Like, for example, on crime. Finally, Republicans are like, we need to get tough on crime. So for eight years, these stinking Republicans, Rick Scott, no different. Criminal justice reform. We lock up too many people. This is the bull crap I've been dealing with for a decade. I am literally the only talk show host, the only conservative columnist that opposed the jailbreak agenda that Trump got roped into because of Jared and, and the Koch brothers, Brooke Rollins, these people. Jerome Smith. Remember those guys in the White House. But even now, so they're 10 years behind. 10 years behind. They'll indulge the broad, it's like the police, the police. I'm pro-police, fund the police. If anything, the police aren't even the issue. And, and like we're talking about in the urban areas, police are tyrannical now. It's more the court system, the sentencing. That's what matters. So, this is point number, what is it, seven or no? No, it's later on in the document. Um, oh, we are Americans, not globalists. Like that's, So, again, Republicans would have never said that before. So, it's like they'll tap into the spirit of the time, broadly speaking, where the base is very superficially. So this is, uh, it's, it's point number three. The soft on crime days of coddling criminal behavior will end. Okay, well, that sounds pretty good. Finally, I'm glad they said that. But then their, their lead is, we will refund and respect the police because they, not the criminals, are the good guys. That doesn't really speak to where we are. Then they have a bullet point. We will support mandatory strict minimum sentences. And I was like, oh my gosh, wow. That's, that's the biggie. I was really happy to caught my eye. And then I read the rest of the sentences. R- rest of the sentence. Let me read it again. We will support mandatory strict minimum sentences for all assaults involving serious injury to law enforcement officers. And again, I'm not opposed to that, but it's, it's, like, it's all about the police. What? That's not the main, I mean... It happened too much during the riots, but it, generally speaking, that's not the main problem. What about assaults? All these people you're seeing in New York, they, they like beat the hell out of people multiple times on the streets and they keep getting out without bail. No, you'll, you'll support mandatory minimums for all violent criminals and especially repeat offenders across the board. Notice how even when they're trying to indulge us, get our votes, they won't put their hands on it. And the reason is very simple. Because even to this day, Republicans will not support any of my ideas on crime. You know why? Because they'll increase the numbers in prison. And they are dead set against that. They are for the de-incarceration agenda. Even though you read it, they sound very tough. Remember, politics is an art. Don't doubt me. I know know my politics. You know, it's an art. You have to understand it's a continuity of years of observ- observations, understanding the who's who and what's what of politics. Unfortunately, you know, we have Republican voters, conservative voters. They kind of he- hear this stuff. Oh, this guy's on our side. 
No. It's now okay in, in Republican politics to talk about the war on cops and, you know, Soros prosecutors. But enacting mandatory minimum sentencing outside of, like, law enforcement injuries, that's something they'll never talk about. And then, of course, they make it about guns. They throw in the Second Amendment there. So, you know, again, it's, it's all fine. But that's where they are here. That's where they are. They're always, it would have been great if we would have said this and done this 15 years ago. But because of Republican fecklessness, we are in the position we're in today. And therefore, therefore, this is why we're at. You go to point number nine. Men and women are biologically different. So they have, first of all, it's all about abortion. That's their big thing. They say, um, all government policies will favor having more babies adopted, not aborted. Well, what about all government policies will favor therapeutics that save lives and not therapeutics that take lives? Why won't, I mean, medical fascism is the biggest pro-life issue. They've killed well over a million people between COVID denial of treatment and the shots. And that's, and this is just the opening act before the long-term effects of the shots. You can't push the vaccines and by the way, I, I, I buried the lead. It's funny, I got so caught away in this, I forgot to mention the most important point why I brought up this GOP document. And this is the better GOP document. This is the non-Mitch McConnell thing, which is just nothing. And that is, you might be asking, O.T.K. Daniel, where's the section on medical freedom? It doesn't exist. Where's the section on the vaccines? It doesn't exist. And then when they get into the gender stuff, protect women's sports. But they won't mention anything about shared bathrooms and the other stuff and all the other ways that our government indulges men as women. Okay, the female sports is like the safe space. Um, it's just all these like, and again, it would have been okay how they stood for that before they allowed and often joined with the left to get to the position they're at today. Obviously, there's a lot of mention of socialism. We'll secure the border. They make it about the border wall. And the border wall, I even said it when Trump was president, the border wall is not the issue. The issue is our government and our courts invite in illegals, give them bennies, give them work, right? So it's not a matter of a wall. If you take away the magnets and don't invite them, they won't come. If you invite them, they'll come. The wall is not even the issue. So, basically that, and no word about assimilation, and no word about, very interestingly, see, I thought even by now they would, um, they would stop you know, um, well, so they, they don't mention amnesty, okay? And again, I want you guys to go through this, but I thought they would stop all mention of, or, or mention that they're going to stop high, you know, these visas where you basically sell America out to China and India. We talked about that a few years ago with the espionage problems, the trade theft, the supply chain issues. Because of that, the selling out the American tech worker, no mention of that. No mention of any form of legal immigration. So this is the typical Republican, illegal bad, legal good. But then they'll never do the things, even on illegal immigration, that will actually stop it. Now, what they're saying is good, but you know they... It's, it's the leverage points, whether it's fighting judicial supremacism, whether it's fighting on budget bills, even at the risk of a government shutdown. They'll never mention that. And, and, and remember, folks, remember, 
even in the best case scenario of this election, they win clear majorities in the House and Senate. Biden's going to be president. You could pass all this you want. Biden has the veto pen. And even then, Democrats will still have the filibuster ability to even you know hold it up in the Senate. If you're not willing to use budget bills and other similar must-pass bills, which they've made clear they're not, this is all meaningless. Even this line here, we will oppose all comprehensive immigration reform measures until we stop the lawlessness on our border and our border is secured. So finally, th- this is where Republicans are. Finally, I fought my entire career. As you well know, I got into politics first really around the 2005-2006 amnesty fight. When we had to fight our own party for 15 years, I had to fight tooth and nail Republicans working with the open border lobby. Finally, finally now, and not even all of them, but enough establishment Republicans like, yeah, yeah, we're not going to do amnesty. But even then, they still call comprehensive immigration reform amnesty as, a, as if that's reform and say, well, we won't do it until the lawlessness stops at our border, which often is arbitrary. But it's like, again, that ship has sailed. Because Republicans not only failed to stop illegal immigration in the 90s and early 2000s when when we could have made progress, and they stepped on the gas pedal and gave gave aid and comfort to it. So we're already beyond that Rubicon. This stuff is not enough anymore. And year after year of over a million new legal immigrants, predominantly from the third world, predominantly low-skilled, and even the so-called high-skilled are really medium-skilled, taking away tech jobs from Americans. We're way past that. This is the problem. They're, they're like, they're finally at our Tea Party messaging, our 2010 messaging. That's where they're at. We need, we need nullification, interposition, sovereignty, quasi-secession. That's where we're at. Anything short of that will not work. So they're finally where we were 12 years ago on the issues that for a document like this, a few years ago, they would have called us racist and drummed us out of the party, which they did. But because we didn't implement it, we're now way past that. That's the Overton window. Always a day late, a dollar short. Never focusing on the issue that matters at the time that matters, in the way that matters. And again, folks, these are the better Republican messaging points. Let let, let me get to some areas where they're they're not even indulging the spirit of the times. So again, I want you guys to, you know, email me dharowitz at blazemedia.com, danielharowitz at starmail.com. Let's engage in this dialogue. I'm going to give you homework. It's a 31-page document. Um... You could find it in 11-point plan to rescue America, U.S. Senator Rick Scott. Google it. Let me know. It's all beautiful points. You're not going to disagree in a vacuum with a word that it says. But I want to see if you guys could read between the lines and see how they're not speaking to where we are now and even a little bit subversive. But then you have those that are even worse. Indiana. Okay? Indiana Senators. Soften anti-CRT bill. CRT is something like even every Republican's indulging. Yeah, we're going to oppose critical race theory. It's like the new we're against socialism type of thing. Indiana, super, super majorities. A bill, this is from Just the News, a bill Indiana legislators say would address some parents' concerns about a politicized curriculum in schools and a lack of transparency has been changed by Senate after lobbying from the teachers' union. House Bill 1134, which passed Indiana House last month, did not mention critical race theory, but would have prohibited schools from promoting the idea that anyone is inherently racist or sexist by virtue of their race, sex, or ethnicity, or that any individual should feel discomfort, guilt, anguish, or any other form of psychological distress because of any immutable characteristic. I mean, this is like the most modest CRT bill you could ever imagine. Okay? Most modest bill... You could ever imagine. Would have required teachers to post curriculum online. Would have required school corporation form curriculum advisory committees that include parents to review recommended curriculum. I mean, 
This is the type of issue. It's not like banning the homosexual agenda in schools. That, oh, no, no. We're scared of the polls and the culture. and the. This is like, I mean, this polls amazingly well. I mean, this, you're going to have a lot of Democrat parents like, yeah, yeah, I, I want I want to say in my curriculum. I, want, I mean, this is all but the hard left would, would, I mean, this is the type of bill you could even pass in a blue state. Okay? But this is the Indiana legislature. We're talking about a 71 to 29 majority in the House. Imagine in, in Washington, 71 Republican senators, 39 to 11 majority in the Senate. There's only 11 Democrats in that Senate. So it's almost four to one. But look at this. The bill was amended this week in the Senate Education Committee to remove most of those provisions. Specifically, it narrows the list of divisive concepts that schools may not teach related to sex, race, ethnicity, religion, color, or national origin to teaching that one group is inherently superior or inferior to another. That's the only thing you can't say. It also removes the requirement every school district have a curriculum advisory committee and removes all passages about people being able to sue for violations of the act. So, folks, this is... Everyone's like, oh my gosh, let's get a narrow rhino Mitch McConnell... Kevin McCarthy-led majority in Washington. This is what we're going to fight all year about. I'll give you four-to-one majorities in states the Democrats can't win in, and these Republicans downright support the most far-left things that are the spirit of the age. Wyoming Republicans, the Daily Wire reported this last week, Wyoming Republicans blocked critical race theory ban in pre-K to 12 12 schools. You want to talk about majority? 51 to 7 in the House, 28 to 2. My buddy Chuck Gray, who's pretty much a one-man machine there. Any good bill is, is him. He's in the House. He sponsored a bill. Um, that race-based curricula is inconsistent with Wyoming values. And it was blocked. It was blocked. These are the Republicans we have. I don't know how many more examples I need to give you. How could, let's just take the, you know, Wyoming House, 51 Republicans. At least 30 of them are Democrats, and they need to be removed. How many will be removed in the primaries? Where is the movement? Why am I the only one trying to work on this? Freaking Wyoming. I just don't know where we go from here. If you actually had one cycle where the Democrats would win and flush all these guys out, the people would be so ticked off and people would rebel. But the problem is Republicans are in charge, so they feel like, oh, we have it taken care of. They run on, we're pro-life, pro-gun, and for lower taxes. And then that basically rubber stamps their ability to screw us in every civilization issue that matters. It's unbelievable. And and then even then, if you actually really want to bring some of those aforementioned issues to the brink in a real meaningful way, they'll block that too. This is what you have in Alabama. This is what you have in Oklahoma. This is what you have in Idaho and Wyoming, North Dakota, Indiana, all these states. Texas for sure. Again, if, if we either don't start a new party or at least have a new caucus within the Republican Party that only uses it for ballot access, but clearly, identifiably in an election, you're certified as, let's say, a Freedom Party member. You just use the GOP as for ballot access. That's how we would flush them out. If we continue doing the same things we do, or at least you have conventions instead of popular primaries, nothing is going to change. And in fact, Republicans Look, if you had Democrats in charge of Wyoming and Indiana for one cycle, you'd be able to flush them out, and then the next cycle, we'd we'd crush it. But because Republicans are there, Democrats actually get to enact an agenda they would never be able to get away with. They would literally be marched out of office. They get it embodied through Republicans. This, my friends is where we're at. 
what we're facing from the left is more emergent than anything we've ever dealt with. On the other hand, God has given us a reprieve, I, I would say PR-wise, that people are waking up to the fraud. And we could totally go after this stuff. Biomedical fascism, the mandates, crime, illegal immigration, refugee resettlement, the, the you know racist curriculum. But Republicans are going to indulge it like they did in 2010 and jujitsu it into a black hole. I challenge every one of my colleagues that does what I do for a living to answer what are you doing to ensure this doesn't happen again. And the answer is they're busy selling books and making a name for themselves. They just don't care. Look, we have just one week left. Okay, next Tuesday is the most important election of our lifetime that no one knows about. That's the Texas gubernatorial primary. I recently saw polling data. This is very interesting. It's very fluid because it's such a low kind of focused on thing. It's a sleepy race. This is governor of Texas. Okay? If you want a state that's going to lead interposition that already has a traditional spirit of pride in the state independence, it's Texas. Okay, you got to do it through Texas. Governor is the most important position of our lifetime, strategically, and what affects our lives. Texas is the most important state. Greg Abbott, this, this is from several internal polls that Julie McCarty put out. She's one of the lead activists in Texas. It's called True Texas Project, so she's very plugged in. So she sent this out. Um, if you average the aggregate out, Abbott is now at 50.5%. 50.5, right at the threshold. Among the other challengers, it's close. Don Huffines is at 19.4. Alan West is at 15.1. So that's actually good to see because most of the public polls I saw first had West ahead. Again, I'll take either. I am, I didn't formally endorse. I am partial towards Huffines because he is running on very specific things. He has a lot of money for once. It's very rare that we have a candidate that's able to sell fun like he can and go up against Abbott. And he is running on complete, on making Texas sovereign again. Not just America first, but Texas first. He is running on all of my views. I've never seen a candidate directly run on that. He's like, everything the federal courts do, the federal executive branch does, or even Congress, that is unconstitutional. We are doing our own thing. We're having our own deportation program. We're having, this will be a constitutional sanctuary. Culture, education, persecution, prosecution from the FBI, certainly biomedical fascism. He's not just opposing the mandates, but opposing Pfizer inherently and the shots inherently. I don't understand why I'm like the only one focusing on that. But we're going to focus. There's several other promising gubernatorial races. Nevada, which is a Democrat seat, but you know it should be right for pickings. Alabama, Idaho, obviously. There's a lot more we need to do on that front. So I know I went long with that and didn't really get to some of the new COVID news, vaccine news, data news. But because we are talking about the military being one of the most devastating, lingering consequences of the mandates that are not going away and, and at really at the forefront of what we need to fight for, I do want to mention um, hopefully soon I'm going to have more news on the DMED data that we haven't heard about. Remember, we saw the whistleblower said in 2021 the, the data was through the roof, cardio, nervous system, reproductive problems in the military, and cancers, among several other uh, things. And the military went back and retroactively said there was a glitch in the previous five years, only arbitrary five years that was used by the whistleblowers. And uh, 
you know, suddenly it was a, it was it was a glitch. And and there's there's like 10 20 problems with that. First of all, to this day a, a month later, the military has not put out a press release, a statement of narrative. Oh yeah, our house surveillance data was was wrong forever. And guess what? Um you know, we're just having that as a three-sentence giveaway to PolitiFact. You're announcing an earth-shattering thing. Two things are earth-shattering. Number one is that we have a very unhealthy military, according to them. And number two, we didn't have control over this for years. People have written master's theses on DMED data, and it's like, no, it didn't represent. Somehow it only represented a portion, um, whatever. Okay, we don't want to talk about that next. Huh, what? But there's one very important point that I want to mention. There's a very easy way to bust that out, okay? And Thomas Renz, who's the lawyer, you know, kind of working with these military doctors, he didn't want to tip his hand, but now he's going to put this out. And that is, they're sitting on data that serves as the ultimate control group against their implausible thesis. You see, if it's a glitch, that would mean that for some reason... DMED until 2021, and it's still unexplained how magically January 2021, it started covering all the ailments and diagnoses without them knowing that the previous years it didn't, but suddenly on its own it did. But then only a year later, when Thomas Renz points it out, do they retroactively realize it? So again, no, nobody, nobody's fact-checking the military, asking how that makes sense. This whole thing is just bizarre. But... It should apply to everything. Why does it only apply to the ailments that implicate the vaccine at the time it's exposed? Never before and never different ailments. So, for example, I asked the I asked one of the flight surgeons and I said, and I'll be putting out data on this. Could you show me muscular skeletal injuries? Okay, that's something all sides agree that should be stagnant and should have nothing to do with the shots, right? I mean, to my, I mean, who knows what these things cause, but presumably <clears throat> you won't see an increase, okay? So, um, you know, because it's training accidents, torn ALCs, broken bones, broken femurs, broken wrists. Things like that. That's not going to change because of COVID or the COVID shots. And lo and behold, it turns out the years are stagnant. 2021 is not materially different than previous years. And that data was not changed. So we're to believe that for skeletal muscular, and there's other ones too, by the way, you could easily control if your, your mind could only run wild. There's only a certain number of things that the vaccine causes. It's, it's, it's a lot of things, but... It's not, you know, a majority of, of ailments and injuries, right? Either they're never explaining what the plausible explanation is. Oh, it's only a fraction of the of the things out there in the middle. Well, so what is it? They never really explain. So what is it? Is it only certain doctors, only certain military bases reporting? You know, like you'll have election returns and it's only 13% of the precincts. Like, what is that? They never, there's no statement of narrative. But whatever it is, it should be across the board. Let, let, let's just say, oh, it's only um, Fort Bragg and, and, and Fort Campbell. I don't know. But the, 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 but the other one's never gotten to the system. Okay, but then skeletal muscular were, were always there. Why? And then there's another thing that's interesting, too. Teresa is already um, – Teresa Long, she's one of the doctors. She's already testified um, in front of Ranja on the first committee that she leaked out a few months earlier – that the myocarditis data was like 15 times or something the previous years. That they changed right then, a few months ago. They changed to make it look like it's only double. So wait a minute. They're saying that that was a glitch. Okay, they're saying that was a glitch. But, so it was only a glitch. Meaning, how, did, how didn't they discover, oh my gosh, all these years, we weren't, the system somehow wasn't uh, encompassing, wasn't collating all these things. They only noticed myocarditis. In other words, they only noticed the glitch for the things they need to notice it for at the time they need to notice it. 
I mean, this is the type of stuff our government is putting out, and yet I get fact-checked, my articles get dinged on Facebook, and this is totally kosher, totally fine. Again, you can't live with people like that. We talked about this yesterday with the Gem Ivermectin study. It's all fraudulent. Tomorrow we're going to have a whistleblower on to discuss the fraudulent Pfizer clinical trials. Direct fraud being committed. You cannot live together in a country with these people. You cannot be under their control. You can never conjure up a set of rules and traditional legislation that somehow they'll play fairly with you. The corruption is worse than third world countries in Western democracies now, which aren't democracies anymore. But think about that. Military is now being forced to get a shot that we have demonstrated has problems. Again, it's not the data. It's the clinical experience. Some of these doctors were telling me in the military, they ordered, it's not just that they're covering up data, they, they, they're covering up the people. In order to cover up the existence of vaccine injury, you have to cruelly ignore the person seeking medical help. So they'll order certain tests for certain people, whether it's cardio, whether it's you know blood clotting, you'll order D-dimers, you'll order uh, MRI, you know cardio MRIs, whatever. They're not making them available. And one thing you, you need to understand in the military is the military doesn't have a cadre of doctors. They mainly have primary care. Some surgeons they have, um, and then things like optometrists. But when you get to specialties like pulmonologists and cardiologists, almost all of them are farmed out. They're civilians they go to. So if you're a civilian doctor that contracts with the military, that's where your bread is buttered. And if the military leadership makes it clear to you you will not discover myocarditis, pericarditis, blood clotting. Well, they ain't going to do it. And let me just end with this. Going back to Teresa's letter, dreams of young children whose fathers served in the military and even died for the military being dashed for not getting a shot at that age. And by the way, um, Teresa Taylor, her email is TeresaTaylor333 at gmail.com. So T-E-R-E-S-A, no H, Taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R, 333 at gmail.com. If you want to send her well wishes, um, coming up on the 10th anniversary of the loss of her husband, um, and also if specifically, mainly if you're from Alabama and you want to join our um, Constitution Action Network team, she is very savvy on top of the legislation, um, really pressuring the you know, Rhino Republicans in Montgomery. Um, she's doing a great job. So you, you know, reach out to her if you want to join. Um, so again, that's Teresa Taylor three 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 at gmail.com. But a new research letter actually published in JAMA. Okay, is published in Journal of American Medical Association. The hospitalization rates for five to eleven year olds for COVID was five point seven per hundred thousand. And we've already seen numerous studies, including the CDC itself, anywhere from 40 to 60% inflation because they're just incidental. Because we're testing like we've never tested before. But let's just stick with the 5.7 to 100,000. Influenza is 17 per 100,000. Okay, three times as much. Even RSV is 6.2. And we've destroyed their lives. And we, we, we begged. This was known from... Day one, there's nothing more we know now. Certain things we've learned, that fact that kids are not in danger, whatever works, doesn't work, masks don't work, the shots don't work, the distancing doesn't work, the closing schools don't work. But no matter what we knew, that the entire impetus wasn't true to begin with because it just it wasn't anything more than what we typically deal with with kids. And yet, we went on month after month after month and the Republicans refuse to listen to us in most red states. To this day, kids in Birmingham, Alabama are being masked, and major southern cities are being masked, and the governors and legislatures refuse to do anything about it. In fact, there's only a handful of areas where, of states where they actually fought it. Those big cities, Republicans bought into it. And even now that they say, oh, it was terrible, we closed the schools. 
And even the ones that say it's terrible, we mask the children. They're not lifting a finger to ensure never again. But we will. We will fight this. We're going to focus on whistleblowers. We're going to focus on empowering the voiceless. The voiceless people injured by the shots, injured by lack of treatment, injured by biomedical fascism, having their careers destroyed. Voters that don't have anywhere to turn. We're going to try to find the few good primary candidates there are, get them on the show. You can let me know what you suggest. Um, you know, again, we're mainly going to focus on governors, but you know, maybe we'll do a few Senate campaigns, things like that. This is a comprehensive show. This show needs to be heard by every person who calls themselves a conservative. But as you well know, I don't, you know, go on Fox. I don't go in these places. So I need you to be my ambassadors. Send it to everyone you know. Tell them, look, this is a different show, different message. I'm not the typical right versus left, Republican versus Democrat nonsense. The threats that we face to our liberties, the threats to our culture, our civilization, our due process, our, our very form of government are, are too big to get into that petty, petty nonsense. This is the show for you. Please give us a five-star rating with a comment on iTunes. certainly helps. Again, send me your, your, your concerns, what you want me to focus on. Um, I've learned a lot from you. I've, I've gotten great emails from you guys. So you're always welcome to email me. Uh, again, we'll, we'll get into some guests later on this week. Until tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.